Welcome to the Women's Health and Fertility Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Evelyn Kennedy, a fertility nutritionist with a decade of experience in well-being, nutrition, and a strong background in health promotion, psychology, and masters in human nutrition. Join me as we navigate the realm of fertility nutrition, hormonal health, and psychological well-being support. Let's learn grow and glow together. Now let's get into this episode. Uh, welcome to the podcast. It's a very exciting podcast today. We have a really uh, knowledgeable and evidence-based fertility. Rachel is an Australian trained physiotherapist, nutrition and health coach, and a natural fertility educator. She founded Fertility Co. to hand the next generation of women of all ages, life stages and backgrounds the tools they need to ditch hormonal birth control, optimize ovulation and conceive quickly and naturally. As I said, I'm really, really excited to have Rachel on the podcast. I was just saying to Rachel that when I first started getting into fertility, the Fertility Co. was actually one of the first podcasts that I um, listened to. So it's definitely given me a lot of inspiration to start up my own podcast. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. It is an absolute pleasure to be <laughs> recording your very first interview, I guess. that's Yeah, that's really exciting because we've had a bit of a chat about you starting your podcast and being like, do it, do it. So it's awesome that we're here. <laughs> Yeah. And so I guess you've, you've sort of said it already in your introduction, but I have, I wear a few different hats. I'm a physiotherapist, a nutrition and health coach and a natural fertility educator. And my, my real passion is, yeah. So preconception and natural fertility and supporting women through that really special phase in their lives, which is, I guess, meant to be really exciting, but a lot of the time can be very daunting, very overwhelming and very confusing. I obviously am trained as a physiotherapist. I still work as a physiotherapist but not in women's health at the moment. Um, but that was sort of where my passion for all of this started. I would do lots of training and work in the pelvic floor and pregnancy and that area. And I guess that sort of led to, well, I'm, you know, supporting women through pregnancy and postpartum. I want to support them through the preconception stage as well. And um, I was diagnosed with celiac disease quite out of the blue. And that sort of started my journey into looking further into nutrition, looking into how I can better support my body because stress was what caused my um, diagnosis. And so I really wanted to address those issues because it was a bit of a shock to me. And so I started nutrition and health coaching. I, I literally studied that at, while at work, bought in a job I didn't enjoy. I was working in a management job that triggered the stress ultimately. So I started there and all of the electives that I picked to get that certification revolved around fertility and the menstrual cycle and pregnancy. And amongst all of this, I was in the process of coming off the pill for myself because I'd been on that for about 10 years and I didn't like the idea of being on hormonal birth control anymore. So I discovered charting and tracking your cycle to be able to understand when you're fertile so that you don't need to rely on hormones every single day to, you know, prevent pregnancy for that small window of time that we're actually fertile. So that was sort of how I fell into it. And then as I do, I went and got certified. I went and did a course and lots of training and assignments and things to be able to become a trained teacher in natural fertility education. And that, as I said, is where my passion is. I, I love talking about this stuff. I love 
answering women's questions about this stuff because you you don't know what you don't know but when you start to dive into this whole world of information you realize how simple it can actually be and you find yourself getting a little bit angry and a bit frustrated why did nobody teach me this when I was a teenager I could have avoided being on the pill for 10 years I could have avoided all of you know especially women who are trying to conceive or have been trying to conceive for a long time a lot of frustration I could have you know got there quicker if I had have known this stuff so it's yeah definitely something I'm very passionate about and that's I guess where my podcast started from as well just trying to get this information out to as many women as possible yes definitely I I think if there had been great resources like your podcast when I was growing up it would have been so beneficial just like my background in, in that area so taking pill and Um, I actually had the marina at one stage and when you go to the doctor, they say to you, when when you take it out, your hormones just go back to normal, which is absolutely not in my case. (laughs) It actually took me about a year, maybe two years to actually overcome all the side effects that I got from that. And I know not everyone gets the side effects. Um, Yeah, if I had known about like how, how simple it is actually to track your cycle and actually even knowing about the cycle, it would have been so beneficial because as you talk about in your podcast, it's not something that we're actually educated on at all. And then I remember being in school and, you know, like you're, you're pretty much just like taught about one phase of your cycle, which is just like when you have your period. So yeah. I think, you know, all the resources that you've come up with are are so beneficial. Could you provide us with a brief overview of a woman's menstrual cycle cycle and its various phases for those that actually don't really know a lot about the different phases? I think you absolutely hit the nail on the head when you said at school, when we're teenagers, when we start experiencing this for ourselves, we learn about menstruation, we learn about bleeding, and that is it. And so that is the phase that we are probably most familiar with because it's obvious. We know when we're bleeding because we can see it. But then there's not just nothing for the rest of those couple of weeks until we bleed again. Our body is just in a constant state of fluctuation. It is all controlled by our hormones and we are always in a phase of the menstrual cycle on any given day. And it's important to remember that we are only fertile for a very small window of that time. So, you know, when we talk about being on birth control and these things that are preventing pregnancy every day of our cycle, because we were taught as teenagers, a boy will look at you and you will get pregnant. It's, it's, yeah, it's such a disservice to women because we are left feeling like pregnancy is so easy. Pregnancy is just, it's just going to happen. And so you have to do everything to avoid it. So I'm going on a tangent. So I'll go back to my <laughs> menstrual phases. <laughs> menstrual cycle. It's, yeah, it's, we just don't know. And you can't beat yourself up for things that you don't know. That's something that I find myself saying to women a lot because if you don't know and you've never learned it, how do you know? Yeah. So basically we break it down into four phases of the menstrual cycle. And as I said, on any given day, you are in a phase of your menstrual cycle. So a new cycle begins with the first day of a menstrual bleed. And that's not considered spotting. That's considered that first day of that bright, rich flow, which you would all sort of know what I'm talking about with your own cycles there. So in the absence of pregnancy, menstruation follows ovulation. So menstruation is a sign that we have ovulated as well, which I'll go into a bit more detail later. But basically 
day one of a new cycle is day one of a bleed. And this is our endometrial lining, the lining of our uterus shedding because the body has realized that we are not pregnant. So it is shed that lining in preparation to try again for another pregnancy later on in this cycle. So we have our cervix, which is sort of the divider of the gateway between our vagina and our uterus. So the uterus is obviously where um, the baby grows and the vagina is where penetration ejaculation occurs. So the cervix is the gate between these and this is where sperm will swim through in order to fertilize an egg. So in our menstrual phase, our cervix, this gateway is open and it's open because we need to shed our lining. We need to flush the unfertilized egg from our system. So when you think about it that way, it makes sense that the gate is going to be open to flush everything out. So as our menstrual flow reduces, as we, our period comes to an end, and you'll know that in your own cycle, it's likely that you have heavy days and then lighter spotting days towards the end. So as this happens, the cervix will close and a mucus plug will form. So our cervix has glands that produces mucus and it produces different types of mucus throughout our menstrual cycle. So this mucus plug, literally like a plug, forms at the cervix. The cervix is closed and that means that sperm can't penetrate and get through. So you can't tell whether or not you're fertile during your menstrual phase because we can't see mucus because we're bleeding and because the endometrial lining does contain a bit of mucus and things anyway. So what we actually need to do is consider ourselves fertile during our period. So the myth of you can't get pregnant during your period is a myth. If you have a shorter cycle, it is absolutely possible because you may go straight from menstruation into what's called your fertile window. This happens if you have more or shorter cycle of 26 days or less, and that's totally normal. It's just something that you really need to be mindful of if that's your situation. So the second phase of the menstrual cycle is called the follicular phase, and this is where the body is gearing up and preparing for ovulation. So you're not fertile during this phase. If you have a shorter cycle, as I said, and you transition straight into your fertile window, you may actually skip the follicular phase. On the other hand, if you have a very long, irregular and unpredictable cycle, it's this phase, it's the follicular phase that is causing everything to be unpredictable because We'll talk about it again later, I'm sure, but there are lots of different factors that can cause an irregular cycle. Um, but this is the phase that is affected as the body is preparing for ovulation. So like I said, in this phase, the cervix is closed with that mucus plug and we are not fertile and we don't see much mucus that's being produced by the, by the cervix glands. If we see mucus, it's often dry it's a bit sticky you might see it on your underwear as like a bit of a like not a nice word but crusty it's it's not it's not wet it's very dry and you'll feel quite dry around your vulva as well and the important thing here is that it's unchanging from one day to the next so this mucus plug is there it's stopping sperm from entering this the uterus and so this means that sperm will die in the vagina after a couple of hours and therefore you cannot get pregnant meaning you are not fertile during this phase the next phase, the third phase, is the ovulatory phase. And this is the main event. This is the fertile window. This is when pregnancy is possible. So the mucus plug breaks down, the cervix opens, and it starts to produce our fertile quality wet mucus. And you might see this in your underwear and think, 
what is this? What is happening? It's been, you know, people think it's thrush. People think it's all sorts of things because they, they don't know what it is. And you can feel this around your vulva. So if you start to pay attention when you're like walking to the bathroom about how you're feeling around your vulva, you, you should be able to tell if you're feeling more wet or more dry around the vulva on that day. So you don't need to be sticking your fingers in, scooping it out, observing it, stretching it between your fingers, all these things that you might have heard before. You literally just need to feel for that wet or dry sensation. So that's where I always recommend beginning so that you're not getting too confused by all the terms and everything else. So if you're feeling wet, and as I said, in the follicular phase, the mucus is unchanging from one day to the next. As soon as you notice a change in your mucus, as soon as you start to notice that things are a bit wetter, you have entered your ovulatory phase. You have entered your fertile window. So the last day that you experience this wet, fertile quality mucus is called your peak day. We only know this looking back the day after, thinking, oh, we're a bit drier again today. So the peak day is usually when ovulation occurs. So the last day that you're seeing this wet, fertile mucus is ovulation day more often than not. And then once ovulation has occurred, the, the main event has happened and the egg can survive for sort of 24 to 48 hours waiting to be fertilized by sperm, we enter our luteal phase. This is our longest phase. This is sort of considered the second half of a menstrual cycle and it's the non-fertile phase. So it begins after ovulation has occurred and then it will continue until our next period begins, unless, of course, we are pregnant. So the cervix closes again after we've ovulated because the body's like, well, I've done my job. I've released my egg. I don't need to allow any more sperm in because the egg's already already there waiting to be fertilized. Um, and it's closed with the mucus plug and you go back to that dry, sticky, not much mucus sensation around the vulva. You may notice a little bit more wetness um, and a little bit more mucus a day or two before menstruation begins again. Um, and that is a sign that your cervix is opened and the mucus plug is dissolving, ready for another cycle to begin. So this is something that a lot of women um, might find useful yeah. <laughs> you often. This is the one that everyone, it's like a bit of the light bulb moment. So you think you've got your period. You get that feeling, oh, I've got my period. You go to the bathroom, there's nothing there. It comes a day or two later. That is your mucus plug breaking down. And I always say that is harder to feel than your mucus during your fertile window. So if you have ever felt that, if you're thinking, oh, yes, I've always wondered what that is, that is what it is. It's the mucus plug breaking down in preparation for your next period. If you can feel that, then you can absolutely, absolutely use mucus to identify when you're fertile and to identify when ovulation has happened. So that's a lot of information that I've just yeah, thrown at you, but breaking it down into wet and dry is really what it comes down to. Yeah, that is such great information. And honestly, I would say 99% of women don't actually know all no. of what you set out there. So um, I definitely didn't know everything that you talked about before I started listening to your podcast. So, you know, like I've actually learned a lot more about the the body basically um, just through listening to, and even from listening to that breakdown, I think I've even learned some more stuff. So um, <laughs> I think lots of women will definitely find that really beneficial around the different phases because I know like within the fertility side of things as well that's a lot of the time what what women struggle with is actually known when they are you know ovulating 
sometimes it can be harder, especially like what you mentioned around um, some women have having different length cycles. So that that's actually really, really beneficial. And um, so which probably brings us on to the next question, which is how does ovulation occur and what are some signs or symptoms that indicate a woman is ovulating? So I know you did kind of break that down if you just want to give a brief breakdown of that. And yeah. can you explain the concept of fertility awareness and how it can be used to track ovulation and aid in family planning? So I know you did go over that. So if you just want to give a brief around the ovulation side of things, because I know that's yeah. a lot what women kind of look, look yeah. out for. <laughs> well, I always have more to say. Don't worry. Oh, I love it. <laughs> um, yeah. So I guess, first of all, it's important to understand what ovulation actually is because a lot of people probably don't think about this stuff until they're actually actively trying to conceive and then that sort of hits them like, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> um, so ovulation is when an egg is released from the ovary and it's released into a fallopian tube and we have sex with penetration, ejaculation, sperm will swim up through the cervix, through the uterus and get to the fallopian tube and that's where the egg is fertilised. And then once it's formed that embryo, that fertilized egg, it travels back down and then it implants into the uterus, the endometrium. And so this whole process, as I said, the whole menstrual cycle is driven by our hormones and the two key sex hormones are estrogen and progesterone. And so I don't go into too much detail here, but estrogen is basically the dominant hormone in the first half of the cycle before ovulation occurs. And it's this hormone that then triggers other hormones to release this egg from the ovary. And then I guess the main one to talk about there is luteinizing hormone. This is the hormone that is detected when we use ovulation predictor kits. But the surge in ovulation, the surge in the luteinizing hormone doesn't always occur right on ovulation. So I've got a lot to say on, ov on ovulation predictor kits as well, but I won't go off on that tangent. Yeah. So estrogen is dominant in the first half of the cycle. And then in the second half of the cycle, once we have ovulated, we have progesterone. So when you think about progesterone, it's progestation. It's the hormone that really wants us to be pregnant. And so we have this progesterone surge in the second half of our cycle. And that is the dominant hormone there, which then triggers another cycle of events, the thickening of this endometrium lining um, in preparation for implantation. And then that is what is flushed away as our next period. So that is sort of ovulation in a nutshell. And I've talked a lot about mucus and mucus is the key fertile sign. It is the one thing, if you're wanting to know when you're fertile, it is the one thing you should be tracking. A lot of people look at their body temperature as well, their basal body temperature. So that's basically the temp the body's resting temperature on waking. So it's at rest and you need to be, you need to have at least sort of four to six hours uninterrupted sleep for that to give you an accurate reading. And we, what we see after ovulation is a surge in our body temperature. And that surge in our body temperature is driven by the surge in progesterone. So progesterone produces heat and that is what causes our body temperature to rise. But there can be a delay in our body temperature. It can take a couple of days for, for us to actually see that rise in body temperature after ovulation, by which time we're no longer fertile. And so if you're waiting if you're just tracking temperature on your own, on its own, and you're waiting to see that rise to start trying, you're often trying too late because you're already into your luteal phase when that happens. So I, I call it the fertility pyramid. If you think about the food pyramid at the bottom, we have, you know, the things that we should be eating every day. And at the top of the pyramid are 
chocolates and what have you. The things are sometimes things. I don't think chocolate's on the food pyramid, but you know what I mean. <laughs> so basically, mucus sits at the bottom. If you, And I think this is where women who are familiar with tracking can be led a little bit astray because they think there are multiple signs they can pick and choose from. So it's not really a pick and pick and choose kind of thing. You need to be looking at mucus. If you want to add something else in as a backup, as a confirmation that ovulation has occurred, then that's when basal body temperature can come in handy. But I would never recommend using basal body temperature as your only, your only indication of what's going on. And especially if you're using it for birth control, I would not use it. It's not reliable. And then at the higher up in the pyramid, we have other signs of ovulation. So our cervix position and shape is another really good one. Like being a physiotherapist, obviously I use my hands a lot. I can feel, you know, changes in muscle and things like that. So I have always found cervix shape and position to be really handy, but um, a lot of people obviously aren't comfortable checking their cervix position every day, which is totally fine. You don't have to do it. And I also don't want people to get obsessive and to feel like they have to be tracking all of the things. So that's something to be mindful of as well. So that's considered a secondary fertile sign. And the other secondary fertile signs are things that not all women will experience. So they may not experience them ever, or they may not experience them during every cycle. And these are things like spotting, ovulation pain. Some people get a really specific one-sided pain when they're ovulating, things like that, sore boobs. Um, so these are potential signs of ovulation, but they can't be used as the be all and end all sign. Mucus is, mucus is queen there. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. I actually didn't know about the temperature that you could potentially be in your next phase. So that's really interesting. Because yeah. I know some people, you know, swear by that. So that's really, mm. I think a lot of people will find that really interesting. Yeah. And it's, and it depends on your cycle too. So some people might have a temperature that rises really quickly. And I think that's where, you know, this fertility awareness and charting and tracking your cycle month after month, cycle after cycle comes in handy because you start to notice the patterns that your body produces. So I know that for me, my basal body temperature will rise two days after I ovulate. And so. I can suspect that I've ovulated because I've seen the change in my mucus pattern and then I use my basal body temperature to confirm. But if I was waiting those two days to see that shift in basal body temperature and I thought, oh, okay, I've ovulated, time to start trying, I would have trouble because I'm not, I'm not trying to conceive in the most optimal time of my cycle and in my fertile window. But there are other women who I'm sure would, their temperature would rise, you know, bang on after ovulation and their, their egg is still viable. Their egg is still waiting to be fertilized and that's actually fine for them. So that's where understanding your own unique cycle and that, that only comes from experience. Unfortunately, it comes with practice and charting over a matter of months. It's usually about three months for a pretty regular, pretty predictable cycle. It's about three months to get your head around. It's, it's something really amazing to do anyway, like to be more aware of your own body because I think we're so far removed from our own bodies nowadays. Like obviously uh, even looking at these factors are, is really important. So, you mm. know, that's, that's obviously really good information for women. And even like, yeah, I've definitely took lots of tips and stuff. I'm, I'm very pro fertility co. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. But yeah, and I think I'm, I'm very fortunate and I'm very grateful that I discovered all of this before yeah, I was trying to conceive. And I initially used this as birth control for 
five years before yeah. before I was pregnant. So I know that not everyone is in that position. I know that a lot of people are, you know, actively trying to conceive now and it can be, it can feel like another hurdle, I guess. Oh, I've got to learn this while I'm trying. But the more you understand your body, and I think especially after having a baby as well, the last thing you want to do is be back on hormonal birth control straight away because yeah. I know in my experience I had midwives in the hospital saying, so what's your what's your birth control plan? We can put you on this, we can put you on this. And I'm thinking the last thing I want to do is be on hormonal birth control right now, even if I am, you know, breastfeeding and everything else. So I yeah. think, and like obviously I can't speak for everyone, but I think after you've, you've gone through that, the last thing you want to do is suppress everything again. You're going to get to a point where you have to, understand that stuff and obviously postpartum your cycle is very wonky it takes a long time for things to adjust especially if you are breastfeeding and lactating over a long period of time so the more you can understand and the more you can be familiar with this stuff and the sooner you can be it only will serve you and then you know as we go later in life and enter menopause and everything like we're not in a complete panic that our cycles are a mess we have a bit more of an idea about what's going on we understand you know potentially we haven't ovulated every cycle but we can still sort of pick up on these fertile signs and it gives you that sense of control that i think a lot of people feel like they've lost yes. in some of these phases of life 100 percent um which actually kind of links into our next question are there any factors that can affect the regularity or timing of a woman's menstrual cycle? And if so, what are they? There are lots. So <laughs> <laughs> some of them, so you, I guess you could break them up into two categories. So there, there, are, there are some that are, I guess, temporary or transient, things like stress, illness, even, you know, travel, jet lag, things like that can all impact our cycle. And then there are more long-term, more chronic things like, PCOS, polycystic ovaries, conditions that potentially impact our hormones, potentially impact our reproductive system in some way. So obviously the transient temporary ones are a little bit more lifestyle driven. These ones are a little bit easier to address. And I'd always recommend starting, start if you are charting and you're looking at your cycle and you're identifying that there may be irregularities, your body may be attempting to ovulate multiple times, things like that, always starting and with treating it as a temporary problem so that you can start looking at those lifestyle factors and start addressing that stuff before you then have to fork over all your money for specialist appointments and hormone testing and everything else, which can get really overwhelming. But that's how I would sort of break it down. A big one is stress. A huge one is stress. Like, as I said, stress is what caused my celiac disease. So I completely understand how impactful stress can be on the body. And they say that stress can, can kill you, which is dramatic, but I, I do believe it. I believe stress. that stress has a huge yeah, impact. They, exactly. They and I stressed. think that's the issue. <laughs> because they're so used to yes. being that level of stress, which is crazy. Yep. Well, you know, I it's can crazy. And I think I probably have an element of it myself, but it, it is crazy that we're so <laughs> like used to having that much stress in our life that it's just normal. And it's that I think it becomes our new threshold. It becomes our new normal and, you know, throw in like the world we live in today is stressful. We are expected to do a hell of a lot. We have so much mental load, throw in, you know, trying to conceive, throw in the stress if that's not happening, stressing about stressing. And of course, stress is going to impact your cycle. And if you think of it from a really primitive caveman, you know, biological level, 
the body is going to recognize that this is not a safe time. It is not a safe situation. We don't want to be getting pregnant right now. You're too stressed. You're, you know, you're in danger. You can't be incapacitated during pregnancy and with the, with the newborn and things like that. And the body will switch off. The body will switch off that function. So the main, the main stress hormone cortisol, the, precursor to that hormone that produces progesterone, which is, you know, the hormone that is progestation that wants us to get pregnant, the same precursor produces both. And so if we're stressed, it's going to favor cortisol. It's going to favor that stress hormone every time over progesterone and over our sex hormones, because ultimately the body is like, nope, this is not happening right now. And it will switch it off. And that's why people who are under like physical stress as well. So we see it a lot in like elite athletes and things like that. Women who, or young girls who potentially start menstruating very late because they're, you know, already doing that really high level of physical activity or later in life, they're, you know, elite athletes and they find that their menstrual cycles have just shut down they haven't had a period in a year or two that is the body telling you you are stressed and it's not going to prioritize trying to get pregnant when it thinks your body is in danger so stress is huge and if you as you said everyone is under stress I think but if you can recognize that you are particularly stressed um then it's really worth addressing sooner rather than later because it can have a really big impact on your cycle. And what we see is longer cycles, more irregular cycles, more unpredictable cycles. Um, and it presumes in a very similar way to something like PCOS, where the body is attempting to ovulate multiple times. It doesn't ovulate multiple times because it's not successful. But what you see is we sort of enter our fertile window. We see that mucus and then it dries up and then it comes back again and then it dries up. And then it comes back again and that's the body. Okay, let's try again. Let's try again. And yeah, like you could be looking at a chart and it could be PCOS or it could be stress, but I know which diagnosis I would prefer and which one I would, you know, be trying to manage sooner. So, yeah, so that's why it's really important to know, to know what's going on in your cycle and to, I guess, to just be mindful of what is happening in your life because, these basic things, um, nutrition, exercise, sleep, and stress are my four big ones, and they can all impact the cycle and cause these irregular, irregular oh, problems. Are there some common myths or misconceptions about ovulation and the menstrual cycle that you often come across? Yes. Day 14 of ovulation. We're like, definitely going to bring this one up. <laughs> So I think that is the biggie and the fact that we all have 28-day cycles. So we do not all have 28-day cycles. A normal cycle range can be like 20 to 40 days and we want it to be consistent for you. We don't want it to go from 20 days one month to 40 days the next. But if your cycle is consistently, you know, 35, 36 days, that's okay. There is nothing wrong with you. That's just how your body does the menstrual cycle. So I think the day 14 ovulation myth, again, has been such a huge disservice to women. I think it's what we learn when we learn about the menstrual cycle. You know, our textbook in high school said, you have a 28-day cycle, day 14, bang, you ovulate. And that's where... And that's where apps and tracking apps can cause a lot of stress and a lot of 
a lot of problems because ultimately they are an algorithm that is programmed by what is called the rhythm method. And the rhythm method is, yep, you ovulate on day 14. If it's day 16, yep, you're fine. You can have unprotected sex if you don't want to get pregnant because, you know, you've already ovulated. And so that's where, and I find it over and over again, women who are, you know, tracking their cycles and are really proactive about this stuff, they still say, oh, but my app said I was ovulating this day. And they question, they question what they're observing. They question everything else because that's what their app told them. But literally when you first sign up for an app, you put in the date of your last period, you put in the length of your period and it pretty much is going to do the maths for you and it's going to say you're ovulating around day 14. So I think that is the biggest one um, like that is the easiest to fix. There are women only yes. ovulate on the 14th day. So it's like yeah. very, very wrong for so many people. <laughs> very, exactly. And I highly doubt of that 10% it's happening every single month as well yeah I actually read I read an article yesterday and it was it wasn't even about this it was about just apps and tracking in general and why we shouldn't be tracking our sleep and why we're getting obsessive with tracking all these things and it was this little snippet about menstrual cycle apps and it was a study of something like 75 apps and it said only 20% of them had any sort of accuracy and Look, I wouldn't say it's the app being accurate. I would just say that 20% of the people who use yeah. the app, it gave you some sort of accuracy. So if you are relying on an app to tell you, like by all means use an app to record your data because I know that pen and paper is not for everyone. But if you're, if you're relying on an app to tell you when you're fertile, especially for birth control, but also for trying to conceive, I think that's where you can run into a lot of problems if you don't have that textbook cycle. Definitely. Which leads us on to one of our final questions. What advice or tips can you offer to women who are trying to conceive or better understand their menstrual cycle and ovulation? <laughs> Where to begin? I think, I think it's what we keep coming back to. It's understanding your body. So I think like my whole thing is when you un understand your body, you are, you can take control back and you can make, then make informed decisions about your health. So obviously there are lots of different medical practitioners out there who absolutely do a wonderful job. But unfortunately, if you are trying to conceive and you go to your doctor and say, it's been X amount of months nothing's happened, they're going to refer you straight on to a fertility specialist. And unfortunately, it's just not something that's covered in the medical field. You know, they've, they've got a lot to learn and they don't, they don't go into that detail and they think they're doing the right thing by referring on yeah. to a specialist. But there's such a knowledge gap there. And if you go to a fertility specialist, if you start looking down the path of assisted reproductive technology, no one's going to sit you down and teach you about your menstrual cycle. No one's going to sit you down and teach you about your fertile window. They're just going to go straight to the testing and let's go. A lot of people who go down that path, like the stats are something like 50% of couples who are referred on for IVF and assisted technology don't actually need it. They've got nothing wrong with them. It's all about timing. And so the more you can understand, even if you are actively trying to conceive right now and, you know, every month is one more month to cross off that you haven't gotten pregnant, start now and you don't have to go into detail. You don't have to get obsessive about it. Literally just start looking at, am I wet? Am I dry? Start paying attention to your mucus. Like if it's something you've never paid attention to before, start 
excuse me, start looking in your knickers every time you wipe. Something that I didn't talk about earlier that is another really you know, easy way to know when you are in that peak fertile window. When you wipe, if your hand slips, when you wipe on the toilet paper, that's often a really good sign that you have that fertile mucus there. It's that really lubricative, slippery mucus. So there's little things like that that are you know, we go about our day, we go to the toilet, we wipe our bottoms, we do that stuff anyway. We might as well pay attention to what our body is telling us rather than relying on ovulation tests and relying on apps and relying on these other medical practitioners to tell us what to do next. Because, you know, some people absolutely do need that support and that assistance to conceive, but you need to make sure that you've explored all of your options and all of your conservative options before you go down that path. And I think that's all a lot of women who go have you know do have to go down that path. I think that's all they want. They want to feel like they've done everything that they could before they got there. So just understand your body, and I promise it is not hard. I promise it is you know it becomes autopilot. I was I've been in that position. Like I've done some training and some certifications now, but I started as someone who just wanted to understand my body, and someone who just wanted to track my cycle. And it's life changing information once you can understand that about your body. You know. For your journey, you probably realized how many other women don't actually know all of this. <laughs> and uh, thankfully, you decided to like, you know, um, educate more women about like, I've definitely learned so much just from listening to your podcast and stuff. So, um, I'm sure there's lots of other women who, who don't know a lot of what, what we've gone through. So, and you know, that's stat yeah. around, um, 50% of couples, they don't actually need. IVF or you know assisted like I definitely believe that it's just something that's that's so common and that's the thing I think lots of women they obviously my doctor said this so it's 100% true but unfortunately like what you said doctors unless they're like holistic doctors they don't actually train about anything within nutrition like they don't make the connection between things like your stress etc so like really just educating yourself because, you know, IVF or, um, or anything in that area is so expensive. And like just giving yourself like, you know, obviously I talk about like the three months preconception and obviously in, in your podcast, you talk about that as well. Just giving your, yourself those three months to prepare your body for pregnancy is like there's so much research in this area now to prove that that is so beneficial for men and women. So mm. yeah, I 100% agree with what you said there. Like people just get so impatient as well, I think, because, you know, a lot of women are waiting so much longer now to have children and we're being bombarded with 35, that's it. You're definitely going to have to yeah. use, you know, other methods of um, getting pregnant and you know like it's it's something that's continuously getting that advice so yeah <laughs> sorry and it's heartbreaking because I have so many women who reach out to me and there's just so much fear and so much anxiety about the process and you know often these are women who haven't even started trying yet they're just starting to think about it and starting to do their research like they're obviously you know being very proactive but there's so much fear about it. And I think like people talk themselves into this is going to be hard. This is going to be, you know, this is going to be a struggle for me. And I think, yeah, like this 35 number, it's, 
Who cares? Who cares if you're 34? Who cares if you're 35? You could be 25 and you could be drinking alcohol, smoking, living on takeaway. You could be 35 and very fit and healthy. Like who's going to have a better chance Mm -hmm. of conceiving? Like age is a number and there are so many more factors there that I think, yeah, it's, again, it's, (laughs) exactly, exactly right. It's, it's about quality over quantity and like sometimes I just all I have to say to you know women is something like that and they're just like oh that's such a relief to hear and it's it's sad because it's why does it take reaching out to someone to get that reassurance why why can't we go into this whole phase of our lives being excited and you know worry when you need to worry don't worry because it's going to be hard because someone told you it's going to be hard. Like I've had so many women who've been told, oh, you're going to struggle to have children. You'll, you'll never conceive naturally. And what a thing to tell someone before they've even started trying. It's it's (laughs) very frustrating. (laughs) Exactly. Talk about stress. Exactly right. And it's, it's that it's the pressure of the timeline and, you know, everyone around me is conceiving and my sister's conceived and my friends have conceived and I'm behind and it's all of that. Like, it's no wonder we are all stressed when we go through this. 100%. So is there anything else that you would like to add before we finish up this podcast? Did you want to talk a bit about the programs that you run or anything in general that you'd like to add? Yeah, well... I guess it will depend on when this interview comes out because I am getting ready to go on maternity (laughs) leave for baby number two. Um, But what I'm hoping to do before the end of the year is actually release a brand new mini course, a mini program that is going to be completely free that covers basically everything that I want to tell people who DM me, who message me that, you know, Instagram tells me your message is too long because I have so much that I want to say. So basically, it's I I there will absolutely be whatever you're listening to this there will be a free resource out there about how to understand ovulation how to know when you're ovulating when to take a pregnancy test so you're not just taking pregnancy tests every month just because and then getting disappointed and so they're the things that I really want everyone to to be aware of so there will be some sort of free offering out there um because that's in that's my maternity leave project but that's sort of where I want everyone to be able to start and it's not even about charting and understanding the charting side of things at this point it's literally just about understanding your body and understanding those fundamentals of the menstrual cycle and and ovulation so there's that there's um, my podcast, the Fertility Co podcast as well. And Evelyn has been a guest on my podcast. So you can listen to that episode. And then I've also got a, I've got a flagship online program, Fertility School, which I guess really takes you through the ins and outs of charting and identifying potential underlying issues in your cycle. And all those things I've talked about being as proactive as possible and taking back control so that you don't have to go straight to a specialist or to a medical practitioner for information. You can get as much knowledge from your charts as you can before you start to worry that there could be something going on. And obviously you can use that knowledge to conceive or to avoid pregnancy because believe it or not, even if you are trying to conceive now, at some point you will not want to conceive. And so you want that information as soon as possible as well. So that's, yeah, I guess that's <laughs> my, my my offerings, my things that are out there. But yeah, give the podcast a listen, I guess is probably the best place to start and you'll get all the most most up-to-date information about everything else and how you can work with me because I'm not I'm not consulting for a little while, unfortunately. Um, 
with yeah. baby coming. Um, well, it was so amazing talking to you. And as I said, if you haven't lis- listened to Fertility Co. yet, definitely give it a listen because it is honestly such a good podcast. I learned so much myself from it. Um, well, thank so, you. Yeah, so amazing talking to you, Rachel. Thank you so much for being one of my guests, my first guest. <laughs> and my it is an honor. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so much for thank having you. me. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of the Women's Health and Fertility Nutrition Podcast. If you're looking to take your fertility and hormonal health journey to the next level, then don't miss out on our free seven-day fertility and PCOS diet plan. It's packed with valuable information and practical tips to help you optimize your nutrition for improved reproductive health. And that's not all. For a more comprehensive approach, be sure to check out our website at www.enhancedfertilitynutrition.org. There you'll find a range of programs and services tailored to your specific needs. Our best practice three-month program, Fertility Focus, is designed to provide you with the support and guidance you need to enhance your fertility nutrition journey. Until next time, keep educating and supporting your journey. Please share this podcast with anyone that may benefit from it and leave me a five-star rating as your act of kindness for the day. See you next time.